0: Welcome to DATCast, the official podcast of the Design Automation Conference. We're here because design automation is something that happens year round, not just for a week in the summer. Hosting the podcast, this is Eric Seligman from Cadence Design Systems, along with Rich Edelman from Siemens EDA. Today we start our podcast with another DAC moment, this time from Dan Janusis. Just a warning, at one point the story gets a little scary, but I can assure you it has a happy ending. So maybe you can start just by um, telling people who you are and what your role in the EDA industry is or or was.
1: Sure, so my name is Dan Genusis. I've been in EDA since 1992 when I joined Mentor to uh, basically start the services business in the EDA industry. Mentor was the first one, and uh, I brought in a a bunch of ASIC designers to basically support Autologic. At the time, Autologic and Design Compiler were about neck and neck in the industry. So having high-level Design consultants, was very forward-looking. Then I went on to a series of startups in EDA, then a whole bunch of other IP companies along. So I've been in sales and marketing in EDA and IP since 92, currently at TenStorrent. I'm a senior director of sales at TenStorrent, where we're selling uh, computing for AI, ML, like hundreds of others.
0: So why don't you tell us about your memorable uh, DAC moment that you had uh, told us
1: about? Well, it was one of the very first times where I was the guy putting on a DAC show for a, a major EDA company. You know, it was a pretty heavy burden on the shoulders. Um, I was very fortunate to have great staff of people that were very disciplined and orderly, and the whole show seemed to be going well. Because we were part of Integraph, booth selection at DAC is based on longevity. So the senior companies get the first choice of the booth. So here we are at Inagraph. We're actually very best, a little bitty company in, in Boulder here. But we had a great boost selection. So at the time when the when the gates opened, I mean, it was a stream of people coming in, editors. I mean, this is before the internet, mid, mid-90s. So it was still brochures and PowerPoint and, you know, fake demos and all kinds of stuff going on. So we're... I picked a booth that was right front and center, right where the doors are gonna open. 10 o'clock in comes, they blow a horn. Um, Dak, Dak back then was probably two or three times bigger than is now. And so we're all geared up. We'd come in Friday and we'd worked all weekend, setting up the booth and getting everything ready. Looked great. I'm doing my last little going around, making sure everybody's ready. It's 10, 15 minutes for, you know, the doors open like at Kentucky Derby. So we're standing there and uh, one of the guys who works for me, a very orderly, disciplined, very personable guy, um, not an engineer, but a, a businessman. And, and he was coordinating the whole booth. So I come up and I'm like, hey, Mike, you know, are, are we all set? Anything I need to look at? You know, it's getting close. And he starts telling me, no, I think everything's in, in, in order. And he looks up at me and his eyes literally rolled back. And he just fell forward into my arms. And here, this one, we used to wear suits, right? I mean, here I am in a, in a suit. It's in Vegas. I just walked from the hotel, so I'm sticky and clammy. And I got this guy bigger than me, and I'm holding him up, and everybody in the booth is, like, gasping at once. And he's, <gasps> and just when this happens, the door's open. Boom. So we're calling, you know, and, and they bring over a medical cart, and they've got him loaded on the cart, and they're whisking him away. and. You know, I I don't know what got into me, but just at the moment I looked at everybody else in the booth and I'm just like, our stuff is so hot, people are dying in our booth. Then I kind of look this way and there is Richard Goering, the infamous Richard Goering of EE Times standing there giving me that one eyebrow raised look like. And he says, I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) I need to see your stuff. And I'm like, oh my God. You know, because Richard at the time was you trembled in your shoes until you realized he was either on your side or not and uh, so being a windows eda company in the mid 90s we were considered you know just this low-end kind of thing came on that richard was was actually very impressed with our stuff but that became kind of a, a little folklore every year when we'd have a booth at DAC, we'd be like nobody turns out the guy had gone jogging at seven in the morning, you know, we're from Colorado, we should be able to, you know, 5,000 feet elevation, we should know what dehydration's all about. I bet there was 1% humidity that morning in June, and he's out running five miles. And so he had what they call Las Vegas flu. They gave him two bags of IV fluids. By noon, he was back in the booth like, what happened? I'm fine. I'm fine. So keep all your workers and everybody in air conditioning. I guess in San Francisco, it's not the the same kind of problem. But that was my moment at DAC that I'll never forget.
0: Yeah, I guess we can all laugh about it since there was a happy ending. and uh, He was (laughs) back at work.
1: No, no one was injured in this story, that's why they always see that.
2: Hi everyone, it's me again, Debbie Dack. Have you registered for the 60th DAC yet? Our team of experts and hand-selected volunteers have poured over hundreds of submissions to identify the right content for you. Today's designers, architects, and engineers, don't miss your chance to experience the industry's best and brightest minds at DAC.com.
0: As you may recall from several earlier podcasts, John Sanguinetti, the original creator of the VCS Simulator, is an endless fountain of stories around the early days of EDA and of Chronologic, his company that created VCS. We spoke to him one more time, and today we're going to hear some more stories about the early days of VCS and Chronologic. Rich and I are both uh, excited to hear more uh, stories from you. I guess we we left off pretty early in your career, relatively speaking, uh, (laughs) our last interview. um, You you just told us about uh, DAC-93 and uh, the big splash you made there. So what happened next? Now, I have to confess, I'm a waveform guy. In fact, I was at Design Acceleration, and we did the signal scan stuff. I can't wait to hear any stories you got on that, but
3: uh, good, good or bad. Yeah, I'm sure you guys know about my my health issues and and the um, fundraiser that was done in 2004. I guess it was after I had that uh, bone marrow transplant. At that time, I had a fairly grim prognosis, and and I was encouraged by a lot of people to to write a memoir, particularly uh, really mostly of, of just my time in in Silicon Valley. At that time, it was, I'd been, I'd been in the Valley for 20 years and had, you know, gone through a, a lot of really interesting stuff, particularly, well, actually pretty much the whole time. And so I actually started to do that. I never finished it, but I wrote a lot of stuff right about that time. And a lot of of what I talked about the last time I I had gone back to to what I had written and refreshed my memory. So that informed a lot of what I, what I spoke about last time. But I went back again uh, over the last few days and, and reread what I had written and refreshed my memory. And, and there, there are actually quite, quite a lot of things that, that are really interesting stories if you're an insider. We did the formal product announcement um, on November 2nd of 1992. We rented the um, tech museum in San Jose, which seemed like a really neat place to, to do something like this. We had maybe 15 people in the audience. That was that was November. We had three customers. You know, the, these were beta customers. And so now, now the formal announcement of BCS 1.0, in the space of, an, of the next six weeks, we got two more. And one of them was Cyrix. This, this was a company in Texas that was making a, an X86 clone. We didn't have any sales representative in, in Texas. We, you know, we had one sales guy who was was in the Valley. I don't, I don't I actually don't remember how we ever gotten found out about these guys or they found out about us, but they were a real startup and they were strapped for money, of course. And you know, we gave them, you know, we we were giving everybody a good deal at that time. We actually made a sale to them in December and we had never met the guys. They were one of my favorite customers over the whole time because you know they they basically just bought the thing on fate and they used it. They they came up with with a few, a few bugs over the course of the next few months. But I actually met these guys about a year later. I actually went to Texas. I'm not sure why, but I went to their office and, and they hosted me and then had all their engineers come and, you know, listen to me talk about VCS. And I said, you know, you guys were always one of my favorite customers because I thought you really did design the right way. And some guy in the, in the middle of the room said, what's that? The hard way? I asked them how they knew that, that their x86 how, how did they not know that it was compatible with an x86 if it runs doom it's it's an x86 and it was kind of the same way with vcs if you could could run their model you know the same way that that uh, varilog excel did vcs was compatible was real Verilog. i'm sure i heard that in 1994 uh well maybe 1995 one of those two years I'm, I'm sure that was when the guy told me that so doom was i guess it was was ascending back then one of the things we did in in the beginning of 93, this was, you know, the six months before DAC of 93, was we started running ads in E.E. E. E. Times. And this was really uncommon back then for EDA companies to advertise. The only one I could ever remember having done that was Gateway back in 88. They ran a series of three ads and then Cadence bought them in 89 and that stopped. We had made our announcement in in November of 92, and Richard Gehring actually wrote a, a very short article that the announcement happened, but would never write anything else about us. And nobody else would either. And so I, it frustrated me that you know I couldn't get any any publicity. So I said, well, if they won't write write about us, you know, we'll write about ourselves. So we'll buy some ads.
0: Right. So and, now at, at this time, I mean, you mentioned last time that someone had done this big cross vendor uh, comparison of simulation right. performance. Was this before that came
3: out? It is, yeah. That was, that turned out to be our fourth ad. We, we, with EE e. Times, you, you would buy an ad and you could, for one price, they would run it for like three times. We, uh, contacted a guy who was supposed to be a, is more like a, a graphic designer, but, and so we, we told him what we did and he had, you know, this was totally foreign to him. He had no idea what, what this stuff was. He went off and a week or two later, he came back and said, okay, here are my ideas. He had several that, you know, were kind of meaningless. And then he had one that said, "If the cadence is too slow, pick up the pace." We thought, "Oh, that's really clever. That'll be our ad." You know, the, the ads all had, all had the same the same style. You put the the headline in the middle, some kind of a graphic, something or other in it in the in the middle, right under the headline, a couple of lines of text, and then some testimonials around the edges. And so, you know, you'd have Pete Foley from Supermax says, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, you know, Shrenik Mehta from SEN says, you know, VCS ran my model five times or 10 times faster than barrel And one of the things I learned from that was that if I asked one of my customers and the, the guys that I would, would know at the customer sites were the engineers, the guys who were actually using it. If I asked one of them to, to give me a quote, every one of them said they would. Most of them would have to get the quote cleared from some manager, but some of them didn't even bother to do that because they liked seeing their name in EE e. e. Times, and so we we always had these little two line testimonials or one one or two sentence testimonials, and we'd sprinkle them around the periphery of the ad. So it was a full page ad, or so that ran for three times. And we when well, we wanted to want a new ad, the next one, I don't remember what the second one was, but the third one, we finally got it right. And the headline was finally fast Verilog, and all the rest of it was you know the same stuff. You know, a few testimonials and
0: so. so wait, and, so when you say you finally got it right, um, you're saying people didn't like your slur at K-Dos, No, or...
3: <laughs> no. Um, I, I never got any feedback of, in one way or another. You know, it was an ad; people ignored it. But the finally fast Verilog. When I say we got it right, it was the message. You know that we're fast and we're Verilog. That was the kind of, um, what I want to say, that, that was the heart of the company. That was what we did. Companies all, all the time want, want want a mission statement. You see what companies come up with for mission statements, and it's often a paragraph of a mission statement. Ideally, you should be able to, to say what you're trying to accomplish in a very small number of words. That was it. It was two words, and, and finally just introduced the, the other two. Once we saw that ad in many e-times, we knew we had the, that was the right message. That was a message that we internalized, and it was a message that we could promote outside. The bar chart that I mentioned in our last segment that Simon Davidman produced at DAC, he actually did it at DAC, we took that and turned that into our ad. And so we ran that for the next four or five months, I think. And that was really the, the most effective one.
0: So this is the one that showed you like 20x faster than cadence. Right.
3: Yeah, it was it was one that had 10 simulators, eight VHDL and Verilog XL and VCS. It went from ours, which of course went long way up in the chart, and then Cadence was down here at 10x lower, 20x lower, I think. Well, one of the two. And then the VHDL ones were all you know trailed off and, and the synopsis VHDL bar was barely visible it was 100 times slower than vcs was but that was the ad that, that we ran that, that was really quite successful thank shukla who um i don't know if he if he's that's a name that you guys are familiar with he was the the marketing manager for cadence for verilog in those days and he told me later that, that once that ad ran he's like well the game's over we knew we, we couldn't beat that after after we ran that ad and decided that, well, we, we really can't keep running the same ad all the time. We got to come up with something new. Somebody had mentioned that Joe Costello had had bought a new car, an expensive Jaguar sedan. It was apparently a very, very attractive car. and I don't know why we, it came to our attention that he had bought it. It, it must have been common uh, gossip within the ADA community we took a picture of that car, not his car, but the the same car, put a a license plate on it that said CDN1 or text in the the ad. I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but it said, we're chronologic. We invest in Verilog. They invest in something else. At first, we all thought, well, that shows we're a feisty uh, startup company. And after a while, I, I kind of Regretted doing something that could be taken as personally as that Ac- obviously was intended to. Um, yeah, well, I oh, know no. uh, at the
0: time were you buying a were you driving a car that was cheaper than that, and then after you sold your company, did you upgrade to an equivalent vehicle or? A... Yeah, but at the time I was
3: driving a uh, an Acura Integra. That was, What it was called it was it was the cheapest accurate, accurate you could buy. It was the one I had bought, you know, four years before. Didn't have air conditioning. There was one other time that I had the ad and Joe Costello intersected. Um, after we ran that first ad, that the Cadence is too slow, pick up the pace. I, I made it into a poster and mailed it to him. That was shortly after we had, had just had run the first ad. And Cadence had a shareholders meeting a couple months later. And I went to it um just to see what a shareholders' meeting at Cadence was like. After the, the meeting was over, Cadence shareholders meetings then were were really small-time affairs. You know, it was a small room and there were probably 50 people in it. And Joe, of course, was he he ran the meeting and then he was the only one that spoke at it. And so afterwards I went up to him and introduced myself and and said, I'm the one that sent you that poster. And he said, Yeah, we used that poster to to motivate our troops. <laughs> Not enough about ads, I think. One of the more interesting stories that came from right around the time of that '93 DAC was DAC was, was like the first week of June, I believe. About a week later, I got a phone call from Jensen Wong. Jensen is the CEO of NVIDIA, and he was the founder of NVIDIA. Nvidia had just started. They had not gotten any VC funding at that time. Um, they were in negotiations trying to raise money. They actually were in the process of of doing chip design. Then he called me up, and I guess I should back up. I knew Jensen from from my Arden days. He was the AE at LSI Logic, and he would come over to Arden and help us with with problems that we had with our our chip design. He had, you know, obviously gone off to to start Nvidia. He called me up and he said, "John, you've got a Verilog simulator. Cadence won't won't give me a break on pricing." On Verilog XL, I need a simulator. Will you give me one? And if you do, you know, without charging me. And if you do, I'll pay you full price when I get funded. And he wanted six licenses. And I said, sure, no, no problem for me. I'm not going to be losing anything by by doing this. So I sent him six licenses, and I sent them to Chris Malakowski, who was was Jensen's um, VP of Engineering. The two of them were so so grateful that. Uh, It started a a long friendship. That was June in December. Jensen got his his funding. He turned around and he paid me full price for six licenses. First time that anyone had ever paid full price to Chronologic for Verilog or BCS licenses. We remained friends ever since then. I don't see him a lot, of course. And he's he's obviously a pretty busy guy, but it, it was a really nice story. Later, when I started um, Synapse, uh, a company that became Forte, I went to Chris, to Chris Malakowski, and I told him what we were going to do. And he said, oh, well, let me have you talk to Jensen here. Um, we're about to move into a new building. Well, we're going to move into a new building. We just leased it. And this was over in Sunnyvale. He said, we're going to have extra space. Uh, Why don't you just come over and have your office in our building? And so we did. That was Synapse's first office. And we stayed there for like five months, talked to their engineers and ate their food. It was great. That's uh, another story from from that period of time. In the 94 DAC, we were a real company by then. We had actually just been acquired by ViewLogic uh, in the end of March. Plans for DAC had been started before the acquisition. When we went to DAC, we were were still Chronologic Simulation. You know, they it was Chronologic Simulation, a View Logic company. Our previous DAC, we'd had a twenty by twenty booth with you know the the cheap pop up booth, cheap graphics. You know, just printed paper that you put put up on the wall. So I wanted a real booth, and so we we had a I forgot how big it was. but we, we went and we had a booth built, like real companies do. Uh, we found some guy who was going to build the booth and agreed with what the design of the thing was. And the, the design had had two columns that, that framed the, the rest of the booth. And out of the columns was a, a support that came up you know, was was just a, a metal rod out of each one of them. And it was a, you know, a board that said, crop logic simulation. But it was you know it was on these two metal supports that came out of these big columns. The idea was that you know there's a height limit for um, booths at DAC. It was like twelve feet or something like that, fourteen feet. At this point, this was 1994. I had been to two DACs in my life. I'd been to my, DAC in '92, not as a vendor, but just walking around the show, and '93, which we've talked about before, is you know, our first um, participant as a DAC uh, vendor. You looked around and, and you would get kind of lost in the, the maze of the floor and you wonder, well, where's, you know, where's the booth that I want to go see? And you would look up and if the signs were high enough, you could see. But mostly because most of them were not that high, you, you know, you really didn't didn't know where, at least I was always confused about where I was supposed to go. And so what I really wanted to do is I wanted to have a really high sign but you couldn't do that because of the height limit. I wanted the columns to have a motor in the bottom of them that could raise the sign to 16 or 18 feet, considerably higher than the height limit. But I wanted a switch on it that would have it you know, go up or down. So when somebody came to object, I could lower the thing down to the height limit. I thought this was clever. Before Dak comes along, the guy finishes the booth, and he, he wanted me to come over and see it, I guess. He, he's proudly showing me this thing. And he says, and I made this thing, so it goes right up to the height limit. And I said, you idiot. The whole idea of this thing was supposed to go above the height limit. I, I just couldn't believe it. And so he did, he did change it so that it would go up a few feet above the height limit. But it, it wasn't nearly as, as dramatic as I had hoped it would be. It did go a couple of feet above the height limit, and nobody ever said anything. You know, I, I, I'm not sure anybody noticed.
0: Uh, Well, you've already made fun of uh, Joe Costello and his car, but I noticed that on your list of uh, stories, you also Uh, talked about Joe Costello's $400 million uh,
3: mistake. Well, it's it's not something you beat Joe up about. Well, the 93, that was when the the language war really started. The language war was still raging in 94. When Chronologic was being acquired by VLogic, we were also negotiating with synopsis. There was a meeting that was held at synopsis. Where they were trying to convince us to to sell to them. It was a Sunday morning, and there were three people on our side of the table and nine people on their side of the table. The three people were me, Peter Eichenberger, and Alan Michaels, who was had been the CEO at Ardent and was now my what we called a COO. He was the guy that did all the stuff that I didn't know how to do, mostly put together as a sales and marketing organization. On our side of the table, we had gotten an offer from ViewLogic. We t- had told Synopsis we had this offer and you know, would they would they like to give us a better offer? And on their side of the table was Art Degeas, of course, and Harvey Jones, who was the CEO of Synopsys at the time. But at any rate, they said, uh, we really would like you to, you know, come and you know be part of Synopsis. And and I said, Well, you know, you're you're a VHDL vendor, you you sell a VHDL product simulator, and we hate VHDL. But how are we gonna? along with you. Harvey Jones slapped his hand on the table and said, if you join us, we will kill the HDL. We, we did not join Synopsis, which was a great mistake. But my biggest regret, not taking him up on that, would have been a tremendous benefit to the industry. That was where Joe's comment about the $400 million mistake came from. At a a gathering, and I think this was an OVI meeting, but I'm not positive about that. That was in '95, I think. Joe was was the speaker, and he made the comment that VHDL was a $400 million mistake. By now, you know it's in the billions. Had Chronologic gone with Synopsis, they would have been in a position to kill VHDL, I believe, because. Cadence and Synopsys, the two major vendors in the industry, would be the ones promoting uh, Verilog. If Synopsys didn't support VHDL in in design compiler, people just wouldn't have been able to use it. I do believe, I've believed this for 25 years now, that had we joined Synopsys, VHDL would have died. And I I think that that was one of the, the worst decisions I've made for our industry.
0: So you don't think that uh, the European standards agencies and stuff would have forced uh, Synopsys to keep VHDL alive?
3: How would they do that? You know, <laughs> nobody's ever been very good at forcing Synopsys to do anything, I don't think. It may have been hyperbole. It may have been an overstatement. But I, I, I really believe that if the tools aren't there, people aren't going to use the language. The reason that Verilog won the VHD, the, the language war then was simply the Verilog tools were better. You know, Design Compiler was pretty agnostic. It, it could handle VHDL, but they, they clearly preferred Verilog. Once both Cadence and Synopsys were selling Verilog simulators, you know, Synopsys had VCS after 1998. Both of them had Verilog simulators that were, you know, considerably faster than VHDL simulators. VHDL simulators had never caught up. But once, you know, once there was widely available tools that were better for Verilog than they were for VHDL, it didn't matter what political situation was. You know, the, the standards agencies, and unless you were dealing with a government contract, you know, you weren't going to use VHDL. Actually, this was also one of my theories back at that time. We benefited from the fall of of uh, the Soviet Union. If you remember back in those days, people talked about a peace dividend. And the peace dividend actually was real. The amount of investment in uh, defense department, the defense department's budget stagnated over the course of about a decade. I think, I think as a as a percentage of our uh, the GDP, it didn't go up. And that was the time when electronic design was in its heyday. Lots of money being spent on uh, electronic products, and EDA, you know, was right in the middle of it. If you had a choice of being more efficient in designing your chips with one tool or, or another, you went for the the one that was most efficient, and that was Verilog. So we we benefited in in a number of ways. I think during during the whole course of, of you know ninety three to ninety four, we were really quite worried that Verilog was going to lose and that the HDL was going to to make us you know irrelevant. It was funny that. You, you were worried on one side, on the, the, the side of, of, you know, you talked to, to people like DataQuest and the other industry analysts and, you know, writers and people on, on that side of the industry about Verilog or VHDL, and, and they all said, oh, VHDL is going to, going to become dominant. And you talk to the engineers who are using Verilog or VHDL, and it was easy to talk to Verilog users and wasn't easy to talk to VHDL users. There was just no reason why a Verilog designer, a designer who used Verilog would have any interest in changing to VHDL because he got nothing from it, got no benefit from it. And it was a pain in the ass to learn a new language, particularly one that was as as complicated as VHDL was. I was convinced and everybody at Chronologic, you know, was, we were convinced because we had, we had been users of Verilog. We were convinced that nobody who used Verilog was ever going to switch to VHDL unless they were forced to. Yet, you know, management believed that VHDL was going to be, you know, well, we'll just switch to VHDL when, you know, when when that becomes ascendant. And so, we we actually had started the process of doing an IPO at the beginning of '94. We had a really good story. We sales growth looked good. We, we were still small, and it was really small potatoes for an IPO company, uh, for a company to be going IPO at our revenue level, but we we're growing and and we had an investment banker that said that, yeah, you probably could do it. But we recognized that the first question that we were gonna get from any people who were who were, you know, you do a roadshow for an IPO, the first question you get is, well, what about VHDL? Alan Michaels was uh, this guy who had uh, been the CEO at at Ardent and was a real character. He said, "Well, let's do something. Let's, let's see if we can come up with a with a report that says that Verilog is is uh, going to win the language war." And the reward obviously has to come from some place other than your company. You know, it's got to be a, a neutral thing. So, well, there's Ron Collette at uh, at DataQuest. So we contacted Ron and said, could you do a market survey and market report he was he was not a guy that you you know you could say look we want this result we'll pay this much money go get go get the result for us we couldn't do that we had to have something that had some credibility we tried to to engage him to do this report do a survey a market survey and to come up with the answer that we wanted without you know, specifically bribing him to do it, and so we engaged him to do this study. We crafted the questions that we wanted to ask in a way that kind of biased it in in Verilog's favor. And I'm getting a little fuzzy about the details of this. We knew he he was he was on his own at this point. He was not in, he was he was not a Dataquest employee at this time. He was was an independent marketeer, or and we knew that he that he needed business, and so we. Gave him a contract for doing some market research that was specifically focused on VCS, in addition to the report that we wanted. Well, that would that would at least put him in the right frame of mind. And he did come up with a, a quite credible report that said that VHDL's momentum had had slowed, Verilog had gained momentum, and that the Verilog was not going to lose the language war. And I think that, in fact, the, the conclusions from his report were, were, were actually quite true. If we hadn't gone about it the way we did, I think we probably wouldn't have gotten as strong a conclusion as we did. But I, I believe that, that we said, we want you to talk to the engineers who are using it, not their managers. If you pick your target audience for the survey, you know you can get uh, a desired result in, in lots of cases.
0: So then in the end, you said you were going for an IPO, but then in the end, you had yourself acquired instead of doing the IPO?
3: The beginning of 94, we'd had a pretty good year. We'd had about $5 million of revenue in, in 93. Things looked pretty good. We thought that we were probably going to do between 8 and $10 million in revenue in 94. Alan Michaels knew a uh, an investment banker. It was a, a boutique investment banker. He said, you know, let's talk to this guy. Maybe we can do it. We'd like to do an IPO. So the guy was named Carl Unterberg. Unterberg was Underberg Harris was the, the name of the investment banker. And this guy comes and meets with us. And we tell him the story. And he says, Yeah, you're small potatoes. But yeah, it's possible you can you can do an IPO. And of course, an investment banker's got a real motive, you know, financial motivation to, to do it. So of course, he was going to tell us that we could. But it was clear that, you know, we were on the pretty low side of, of what you could do as an IPO. But a year before that, ISS—that was the company that, that became Avanti. They had gone public on seven million dollars of revenue, and they had about a 30 30 some million dollar valuation with five million of revenue and you know trailing twelve months and ten million of forward looking twelve months. It was not a ridiculous thing to try to do, and so we started that process. We had a meeting, and this was along was about beginning of February, I think. We had a room full of people who were some lawyers, uh, some accountants, and some bankers. And I got up and told them what Chronologic was all about. And at the end of the meeting, Alan said, He said, This is just a great meeting. 25 people in there, all getting paid by the hour. So, at any rate, that got started. And then we started getting some feelers from. First, we got a feeler from Synopsys. They made an offer. They were going they made it, they they offered to buy us for $11 million. And we said, uh, well, we can we can ignore that. And then we got uh a feeler from ViewLogic, also a lowball offer. Then right about the end of February, beginning of March, we got another offer from ViewLogic. We can say a lowball offer. And then Synopsys made another offer, which was again not very high, but it was actually lower than VLogic's offer. And ViewLogic came back with another offer of $25 million. And this was pretty close to what the, the investment banker had told us we could do an IPO at. The investment banker said he thought $30 million of valuation was, was possible in an IPO. At $25 million, well, that's pretty close. Eventually, we more or less agreed that we would take this $25 million offer from ViewLogic, And Synopsis um, said, oh, wait, don't sign the, the deal. You know, come talk to us. That was the origin of that, that Sunday meeting at Synopsis, that you know, we had all of their, their people on one side of the table and the three of us on the other. There was a lot of interesting conversation in that meeting. Harvey Jones's uh, comment about killing VHDL was, was I think, the most significant. But we told them, I told them, we got this offer from ViewLogic. If you offer us $30 million here, we'll sign on the spot. Anything less than that, we'll go home and we'll think about it. So they offered us $25 million. I'm sure they've changed over the years, but back in those days, they were always a day late and a dollar short with acquisitions. They ultimately ended but, uh, up
0: owning VCS anyway, right? So, Well, they did.
3: They did. And that's actually a, a, a more interesting part of this story. It, it is an addendum to this story. We went back to our office and we were we, we thought that that was really pretty arrogant of, of synopsis to, to just say, well, we'll match it. And because we're synopsis, you'll take us instead of them. The other thing that, that Harvey Jones said when I said that ViewLogic had offered us $25 million, he slammed his, his hand down on the table. I guess he did that twice in that meeting. And he said, ViewLogic is a company. And that's a direct quote. And I thought that was pretty, it kind of put me off. I didn't realize until much later that he was absolutely right. There was, was another factor in, involved in this, um, in our decision to, to go with ViewLogic instead of Synopsis. ViewLogic had acquired Quad or the company that, that made Quad. It was a static timing analyzer. And ViewLogic had acquired them a couple uh, a year or two before this. And yeah, you know, they were Motive was the preeminent static timing analyzer in the market. They had they they were the dominant product. Synopsis had prime time, but it was and also ran in the in the market. And I don't think anybody else had a time a static timing analyzer. ViewLogic said to us, our model here is we want a, a collection of software factories. That was the word they used. Producing software and you know, the main part of the company will be the selling part. And so you'll make the product, we'll sell it. You will continue to be an independent company. It's just that you'll be part of this ViewLogic family. The guy that ran Quad was Larry Rubin. I spoke to him about it. He said, yeah, this is great. They never, they never bother us. We're, they were in Camarillo. They never bother us. I, we can do what we want. We still have the essence of our company. And and at this point, Chronologic was was just a great place to work. We just, everybody loved the company. And we didn't really want to see that end at Synopsis. And I said, well, you know, what happens when we, if you acquire us? And he said, well, we have an office over in Mountain View and you'll have offices in our building and chronologic will cease to exist you know you'll you'll all be part of synopsis that was a major a major reason why we wanted to go with biologic. if all else was equal we're going to take the the you know be an independent company for as long as possible and it wasn't until much later that i realized that that art was being honest and the biologic guys weren't they weren't being intentionally dishonest i don't think they believed that that was something they could do, and it it wasn't. Virtually every acquisition in the EDA industry follows the synopsis model. The the acquired company disappears. There's good reasons for that. We believed in this independent company crap, and it wasn't viable. You know, it, it it simply couldn't happen. We ended up going with VueLogic. VueLogic was not a great company. They'd actually peaked in the market the, the year before they acquired us, and we didn't know that. Their stock dropped. The company just really lost momentum. But VCS did pretty well. You know, we we actually had a sixteen and a half million dollar year in ninety four, which you know we had projected we were going to have a ten million dollar year. VCS was doing pretty well. But the interesting thing about it, from our point of view, was that we had five salesmen, and we had a distributor in Japan, and we had a distributor in Israel, and we had a sales team in England. And ViewLogic had sixty sales teams. And our sales guys sold more VCS, well, sold all of VCS uh, licenses than VLogic the sales guys didn't know how to sell it, and they didn't have the contacts with the customers for high-end EDA tools. They were they were selling to FPGA guys. The merger didn't go very well. It ended up in a nasty lawsuit. I left the company in '95 along with of the main people at, at Chronologic. Eight of the of the nine left in the space of a week. But to to ViewLogics credit, they put in Manoj Gandhi to kind of pick up the pieces, and Peter Eichenberger stayed there, and so they kind of kept the the lights on. Synopsis raided a couple of people, or they did start a project to try to make a VCS competitor with a couple of the Chronologic people. So that was that was ninety five. ViewLogics stock had dropped. To a point where the market cap for Viewlogic was about 125 million dollars, I think that had dropped from six or seven hundred million. I think Chronologic had fallen apart. Viewlogic they had acquired Quad before us, and they acquired Sunrise shortly after us. Sunrise was an ATBG company that was selling to to ASIC customers. It, it had a pretty low revenue, but it was considered a credible product. I had a meeting with Art De Geis. I think it was I think it was probably May of ninety-five. We met in a, outside of a coffee shop in Los Altos, sitting in one of the sidewalk tables. And I said to Art, I think what you should do is you should do a hostile takeover of VLogic. The only people that will be hostile to it is the top management. Everybody else in VLogic would view you as a savior. It's real clear. VueLogic has you know, these three West Coast companies, um, Quad, Sunrise, and Chronologic. And they've got all the East Coast companies that they're not companies, it's VueLogic. The core of VueLogic is all all from Boston or the Massachusetts area. So what you do is, you know you you do a hospital takeover of VueLogic. You'll have to pay two times the market cap. So that's actually what I told them was, I thought you could get it for one and a half times, you know, something less than $200 million. But then you can spin out all the original VLogic stuff because that's, you know, there's still business there. You know, you can spin that out as a public company, which it was once before, and get some amount of millions of dollars back, or you can sell to somebody. He said to me, that doesn't sound like the way to build a great company. That was the end of that. That was 95. In 98, Synopsys paid something like $550 million to buy VLogic. And then he did exactly what I had told him he should do. He, he spun out ViewLogic, the old view logic. But he could have saved a lot of money in two and a half years if he had taken my advice.
2: <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's Debbie Dack again. Time is running out to register for the 60th Dac. After 60 years, the industry has evolved and Dac has been at the center of that evolution. See why DAC continues to be the foundation of innovation. Register today before it's too late at DAC.com.
0: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with John Sanguinetti as much as we did. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at the conference.